0: Hey there everyone, from beautiful Fort Collins, Colorado, halfway between Cheyenne and Denver, and 5,003 feet above sea level, I'm Jeff Haber, and you're listening to No Bed of Roses.
1: No Bed of Roses is brought to you by Conexus. Maybe your company is creating video content, or you're a brand looking for that coveted direct connection with viewers. Maybe you're an established YouTube creator, or you're just starting out. Conexus Interactive Web Video Solutions enables viewers, while watching your videos, to simply tap on the items they're interested in, directly connecting them to the merchant's shopping cart to easily purchase those items. This all happens without ever leaving the video experience and without ever leaving the site where they started watching the video in the first place. Conexus shoppable video content works using any browser on any device. No download, no plugin, nothing to install. Interactive video like you've always wanted it. Find out more at Conexus.com. That's K-E-N-X-U-S dot com.
0: Welcome back, everyone. Jeep Collins is a jewelry designer and newly published author of Enid, the story of his artisan and entrepreneur parents, Frederick and Enid Collins, a wonderfully American story of two craftspeople with a dream, full of passion, and driven to make something special happen. That something special was their company, Collins of Texas, which produced iconic handbags from the 1940s through the early 1970s. Jeep shares stories of his life with his dynamic parents who left a lasting legacy in the design and fashion world as evidenced by the recent New York times piece asking, is it time for an Enid Collins revival? Let's find out. Here's Jeep.
2: I was in the air wing. I was, uh, I was enlisted. I only had a year of college. So I, and I wanted to go. So I, uh, I was in helicopters. I was a crew chief and gunner on a CH-46 helicopter in Da Nang, Marble Mountain. But I, really, Jeff, I wasn't there for a whole tour. I, I spent some time, and then we boarded the ship, and we were off the coast.
0: You said you had a year in college. What were you? What were you studying?
2: Well, I didn't know. Fair enough. That's why, <laughs> <Fair> that's enough. <laughs> why, that's why I, I joined the Marines. Actually, I while I was um, in college, I got my pilot's license and my instructor was a former Marine fighter pilot. We talked a lot and he said, "Well, you know, if you don't really know what you're going to do, join the Marines. Uh, get 4 years and then they'll pay for your college when you get out and maybe you can fly." I wanted to be a pilot. The Marines are pretty strict and you got to have a pretty much most of the time you have to have a college education.
0: So you took private flying lessons near at a local airport.
2: Yes, in, in San Antonio.
0: You're doing this, Chief, during the obviously during the Vietnam War. Your instructor says, "Hey, join the Marines." Now you're joining the Marines <laughs> during <laughs> during during the war. That's a commitment, right there. no?
2: well, yeah. I mean, I've always been very patriotic, and when you're young and thought I wanted to experience war, you know, I I guess that doesn't sound very smart, but uh, I wasn't very smart at that time, but. That's what I wanted to do. So I did it. Got to travel a lot and wasn't actually in country in Vietnam more than two months. We were off the coast on a ship. But I think it was a positive experience. I think most all experiences are positive because you learn things, even though they may be difficult and in a lot of ways. That's how we learn, through difficult experiences. But it was good. There were a lot of good friends that I met. And it was good now
0: you grew up the son of two talented and passionate artists. What was the reaction of your parents, Jeep and maybe they factored into this and maybe they didn't when you told them hey i'm I'm volunteering for the marines i'm I'm going overseas
2: Well, of course, my mother wasn't excited about it or my father probably either, but they were supportive I was certainly of age to make that decision. But I know my mother was very concerned all the time that I was in. And I heard she wrote to me quite a bit during those years. I wrote to her.
0: The story of your mom and dad, Frederick and Enid Collins, they met in school. They had a notion about being ranchers. Do I have that close to right?
2: Well, no, they didn't meet in school. My mother was teaching ceramics at the Whitty Museum in San Antonio. She had three and a half years of college. She was short 12 hours, and her father couldn't afford to send her back. So she was working doing that. And this really nice older lady was one of her students, and she always talked about her son. She was from Michigan, Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. And she brought her son over, which happened to be uh, Frederick, my father and they met and they hit it off right away because he loved sculpture. He wanted to be a sculptor, really. And 2 weeks later they were engaged to be married. And they talked about wanting to do to he wanted to be a cowboy. He wanted to come to Texas and be a cowboy. He had visited Wyoming right after high school and he just wanted to be a cowboy. So they planned to do that. Of course that was October, I think, of 1941, and then Pearl Harbor happened in December of that year. So, they worked in war plants during the war, saved their money, and bought a ranch that my grandfather, my mother's father, who was in San Antonio, found for him. He described it to him, and they put on a down payment on it and bought it. And then they had to stay in in the Detroit area for another couple of years, and then they came down and started ranching. They didn't know anything about it.
0: <laughs> How many generations deep, Texan? Your, your mom?
2: Well, neither of my parents were born in Texas. I was born in San Antonio, 1948. But my father was born in Akron, Ohio, my mother in Shelbyville, Illinois. But my mother came to San Antonio when she was about five or six. Her mother died in 1919 when she was six months old interesting it was the spanish flu complicated by some heart issues so she was raised by her grandmother and her father but they came to san antonio because sister had had moved there and there were some opportunities down there for him for my grandfather well he ended up selling dynamite for uh, construction like interstate 10 and you know contractors it was really cool because When we had the ranch, he would come up and he'd bring dynamite up, and I was just a little boy, and it was pretty fun to push that plunger and blow up something.
0: Okay, so they're I wouldn't say reluctant ranchers; they're they're willing ranchers. And four hundred acres, Jeep—that's a lot of property. No, that's a big spread.
2: Well, Jeff, you got to remember this is Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's bigger in
0: Texas. We got that, yeah.
2: But you know, it was beautiful country. But it was rocky, and it it wasn't real productive for ranching. And I talk about my neighbors a lot in, in uh, the neighbors in the book, and they were old ranchers, and they really helped him out. But they just couldn't make it in in ranching; they were struggling. But he was still trying to do sculpture in Bandera, Texas, which was close to Medina, Medina was our town, but Bandera was closer. They wanted to do a war memorial. It was to be a horse, a riderless horse standing and waiting for the rider to come home for the who had gone off to war he commissioned this foundry in san antonio to help him cast it and so he made it. it was four foot tall horse without a saddle without a rider they cast it and when he took it to them in Bandera, they didn't have the money to pay him they couldn't raise the money so he I ended up selling it to a dude ranch there, and then he was able to pay the foundry man. So that was sort of the last straw as far as sculpting and ranching. And my mother had uh, seen a handbag, a leather handbag, when they were living in Detroit. And so they got some leather, and my father and my mother were both very good with their hands, and they crafted a handbag. People saw it, and they, they wanted one. So they got some more leather and some more thread, and... Started making handbags. And as the word got around, people loved, it, loved the style of it. But they were all leather and handmade. And one of the things that made the bag special was my dad's sculpting ability. He would make little ornaments and have them cast by this same foundry in San Antonio into all kinds of animal heads, longhorns, horses, kudus. And they would put these as fasteners and ornaments on the bags. Uh, someone said, well, you need to sell these to Neiman Marcus. Well, they went up to Neiman Marcus. They took a few handbags that they made and the, the buyer loved them, but they wanted them to go back and make a complete line wholesale prices. So they went home and they did that, brought it back. And my mother did a hand sketched catalog and they gave them a $500 order. They were in the handbag business.
0: <laughs> and what year was this happening?
2: They actually came to Texas fall of 45, 46. They came and they ranched and they did sculpture for a few years. This didn't actually happen until about 48.
0: Were they struggling a bit? Were things tough? Or no, they were just, they were comfortable. They were doing oh. okay. And
2: Oh, they struggled. They lived in this old house. It didn't even have a bathroom. They had an outhouse. It was an old frame house heated by wood stove. When they got there, they didn't have electricity, but they got that. My father and grandfather wired the house for electricity, and the electric co-op ran a line up there. So it was pretty primitive. I love that about them, that they were willing to make those sacrifices to to live their dream my father couldn't have found a better woman
0: a match literally made in heaven here i mean these guys were just kindred spirits it seems cheap where they were able to they were artisans they were craftspeople they were entrepreneurs they were roughing it they were pioneers they were frontiers people in a sense
2: yeah they didn't have to live that way they left relative ease to, to live that life and they, they were very different in their talents. My, th- my mother design was her thing, but my father was also a good craftsman, and he, engineering was his thing. He didn't get to finish his college either, but engineering was what he loved. And when the company grew, he just did all the machinery and jigs and everything to make handbags.
0: Um, So for everybody who's listening, the, the book is called Enid Very Simply, From Small Town, Texas to Fifth Avenue, New York. The story of Enid Collins and her beloved box handbags by Jeep Collins, our guest today. I love the last paragraph where it says the book itself has been thoughtfully designed and produced. We created something that is comfortable to handle and consume. A well-designed book should be effortless and should get out of the way of the story within. The textured cover is soft and flexible, yet the French flaps give it a substantial feel. It features a gold-stamped title on front and spine. The interior pages are opaque and lightly textured. Overall, it is tactile, and supple for the most enjoyable reading experience. When you're not reading, it will beautifully adorn a table or shelf. I love that. And I'm not sure that I've ever read a description of
2: a book quite like that. I'm so glad you picked up on that, Jeff, because my daughter and my son, I have another daughter. She's great too, but she wasn't involved in this. They actually did that. The book is beautiful. It looks like a handmade book. I mean it's well made, but it looks handmade. I I gave a book to a lady here and she said when she took it in her hand, she said, It feels like one of your mother's handbags.
0: Oh. How did how did that make you feel?
2: Oh, it made me feel great because you know, I make jewelry and I make it by hand and it's it's not perfect. I'm really not making much jewelry anymore, but I make it by hand and sometimes it's a little crude. It's not perfect. That's what I like about it. That's what I like about this book.
0: For you to take that time to talk about this book, that it's textured and tactile and it feels substantial. That's, to me, beautiful and so in line with the ethos of your parents and you as craftspeople, as artisans. I find that very, very appealing.
2: Early on, as I started making jewelry, I became a Christian. I put my faith in Christ. From that time on, that just so so had to do with what I was making and the quality and the craftsmanship when you're making crosses or anything that are, are related to Christ, it needs to be good was what I wanted to do.
0: It's just all about that quality and the fact that you align your artistry with your faith. Let me ask you about that Jeep. Do you do you feel that you your artistry, your your craft is a legacy piece from your parents? Do you feel that is it is it fed and inspired by your faith? Does that feed your faith? Is is there a beginning, middle and end to any of that?
2: I am so grateful for my parents for just coming here and ending up where they did. Of course, anything good is a gift from God. I mean, my mother and my father were gifted. I was gifted by them.
0: Were your parents people of faith? Uh, Jeep, is this something that you found on your own journey later on?
2: We went to church every Sunday uh, growing up. I never came to a true faith during that time, and i don't, I don't think either of my parents did either. Uh, my sister might have I wish she was still here to say, but my mother came to a deep faith after she left uh company. She it was her life and the way she lived it that led me to pursue that as well and then my my wife followed and so it was it all happened later. I was in my mid-twenties when I came to...
0: Was your dad still in the picture? Because you were talking about your mom and your sister. Well,
2: my mom and dad divorced in, I think it was about 69 or something like that. About a year later, he remarried, ultimately moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico, where he continued to, or he went back to sculpting. I hope he came to faith. I'm not really sure. I think he did. I I talk about that in my book. I talk about that uh, as a very... My father was just one of the kindest men that I know, and a good man. I remember i read a book uh called "Wild at Heart," and it talks about how fathers wound their sons or their children i guess and I could never think of anything in any way that he ever wounded me. He was just just a good man, a wonderful man, you know, and I hope he came to faith in Christ. I'm just not sure he died fairly uh, he died suddenly and I so I don't I didn't get an opportunity to talk to him about that much.
0: It sounds like you still remain close with your dad even after your parents split.
2: Oh, yeah, I mean, he had didn't communicate a lot but we were on good terms we were always on good terms but
0: we mentioned a little bit ago that or you mentioned that your father couldn't have found a better a better woman in your and your mom better partner what was it that led to this uh this separation between these two very talented artisans and husband and wife
2: you know in starting this business they were so together on it they, and their talents just intermeshed perfectly like dovetail was was the name of my kids' thing. It just went together. But later on, they started making money. They made a lot of money, and she was my mother. Went to New York, and that was it. why she she wanted to travel, and and that was great. But my father really didn't. He liked he liked the ranch. He didn't really ranch much after that. But he had a sailboat. And he loved to do that. They just went in different directions, and they could afford to do it, so they just split. Just couldn't, couldn't reconcile it. But I tell you, I Jeff toward the end of my book, I talk about that the hurt that my mother suffered, and when he died, even though they were long separated, it was a very moving experience because I she would write these things. I've shared a lot of those in the book, and she started journaling when she went to this retreat center of Lady Lodge. She took creative writing. The man who was teaching it was David Redding. He said, write from the lump in your throat. Nice. And, nice. And so that's exactly what she did. And and that's what I did when I wrote this. You know, it's it was a very moving experience to write this for me because it was so personal. I don't know that others will see it. I hope they do.
0: You have one, one sibling. Is that right? That's right. Did she get this gift of, of talent as well, of, of this this craft?
2: Well, my sister wrote three cookbooks, and they had a tea room. My sister loved to cook, and she she was an artist in her cooking. I mean, she, crafts and and painting and things like that. No, she didn't. She didn't really take to that.
0: The bag business from the time that your parents started tooling this leather, and then they they go up to Dallas. They've not sold into any other stores, and they go to Marquee Retailer. And they get an order, and they come back with an order. That's kind of fairy tale right there. They continued with those with those leather bags.
2: They did, and of course, once you get to your line in Neiman Marcus, everybody takes note. all the other stores take note, and so that's how it started growing. And they made the bags by hand, just the two of them, and then they began to hire. Uh, people to come and work and at first there were a couple ladies that drove all the way up to the ranch to uh, work for them and do those but it was later on it was in the late 50s when they started screen printing my mother learned how to screen print that just opened up a whole new world and that's where the box bags came in just revolutionized the whole business and so the the leather handbags like that they were so expensive to make a large variety of bags that had some leather on them that weren 't screen printed i 'm not even familiar there 's so many experts out there on on uh, my mother 's handbags on the internet that you can see all kinds of things
0: and my wife 's family uh, grandmother has an exceptional collection of her own. They're beautiful. And Jeep, we also have, we have every Christmas, my wife unpacks this glorious box of the most beautiful Christmas ornaments that her grandmother made by hand. And they are all bejeweled with Collins
2: jewels. Wow. Huh. What what are they made
0: of? Apparently, you could buy some of the accessories, some of the details that your mom was using on her bags. You could buy them. I don't know if it was wholesale or both. And you could do, you could do crafts yourself with Collins. I don't I don't know what you call them. They're you know, kind of bejeweled pens. That's
2: yeah. does, does
0: that sound familiar?
2: In the last years that my family was in the business, I was in the Marine Corps for four years, and there was a lot of things that happened. You know, I really hate to say this, but I really wasn't interested in that at that time. I missed a lot, and I, and I regret that. You know, I see things and I hear things like that a lot that people tell me. I remember the early years and a lot of that. I worked in the factory, I, I made handbags for when I was old enough.
0: Which bags did you do, Jeep?
2: The box bags totes with the tote bags with the wooden bottoms. I worked in the production of those. I read about that in my book and I read about people that I worked for, the supervisors, you know, in the factory and
0: were they rough with you because you were you were the kid? You were the son of the of the founders or were they how did it go?
2: They were not rough or they were not easy. They were just all about business. They were great people. I wrote about several of those people, or when my mother and father would go on trips, I stayed with a lot of them, Cynthia and I did, until we were old enough to stay by ourselves. So I I just loved those people. And I learned, I, I mean, I wasn't spoiled. Cynthia and I weren't spoiled. We worked hard and We were happy to make a dollar an hour or whatever it was.
0: (laughs) Your parents would have been on the road a little bit, huh?
2: Yes. Later on, they sold part of the company to a couple, Tex and Betty Anderson. And Tex had uh, an airplane, a Bonanza, and they would sometimes take samples and fly out to California or somewhere and just sell. And they did a lot of things together. In fact, our family were pretty close in those early years when we were young they would do that and they would go on road trips to new mexico in fact growing up we used to go to new mexico and arizona every summer just my mom and dad and sister and me i think it's funny i was listening to a podcast when you had uh, the lady her name was stuckey
0: oh stephanie stuckey the (laughs) granddaughter of stuckey's yeah stuckey's
2: I was listening to that and remember stopping at those. We love stopping at those, those stores. Oh, <laughs> Stephanie,
0: she'll she'll love that. That's right. Have a uh, have a. Well, she pre- now you're a Texan. What do you how do you pronounce it? You say pecan, pecan. What do you say? Oh, it's pecan. Pecan. See, and pecan. if you listen to that show, she's she she said pecan. <laughs> There was a wood shop. You eventually get into the wood boxes, which would would you say about the wood boxes, Jeep, that took the company to another level that kind of became the iconic product. Is that right?
2: I think so. Yes. You said the wood shop. It was so interesting because there was a little wood shop that started making the box bags, just the basic box bags before they were decorated or anything there in Medina. Well, he started out making furniture. But eventually all he did was make boxes for Collins in Texas. And then he decided that he wanted he wanted to move back to Oklahoma and buy a farm. My family took over the business uh, or they bought it from him and they didn't have a place to do it. So they got a big circus tent and they set up a wood shop in that circus, circus tent. So they built a, another workshop right next to the factory for that. They housed it in the The circus tent is is this
0: all on the ranch property?
2: No, this is in Medina. The business started there, and then when they started hiring more employees, they had to move it to town because it was too far to go. There were to go to the ranch at that time. There was eight or ten gates that you had to go through, and half of it was a dirt road.
0: You wound up working in this circus tent. Is that where you first started? In well, I never
2: worked in there. I was in school when they when that was. But when they built the factory, I was out for the summer. And so I worked for the crew that was building the factory that would then house the the wood shop. That was a great experience. Was it? I liked working outside.
0: I I said,
2: Look, you know, Medina was a small town. We had six man football and we didn't have much of a weight room or anything. So guys would either haul hay or work in the cedar yard. And I wanted to work outside because I'd worked inside in the factory for. Several years and I wanted to do that. So it was a good experience. You needed to do hard work. That was our weight training.
0: Did you have any kind of rail cars supplying lumber? Did you, were you going through that much wood or what What kind of can you sketch the picture for us?
2: You know, it's interesting because I, I went to San Antonio several years ago to this place um sells so wood. I can't think of the name of it, but I told the guy my name when I was paying for it, whatever I was getting. And he said, you know, I used to deliver lumber up to your family business up in medina he he said we'd take truckloads of load of wood for your box bags and for the bottoms of the tote bags there was a lot of wood going in
0: and you guys would get it there you get the rough the raw stock and then i'm imagining you're you're ripping them you're planing them you're getting them all down to the dimensional pieces that you need to assemble your bags right
2: right they they were just They look kind of like a cigar box, just the basic box. But then the box was taken and they lacquered them, you know, sanded them, got them all ready. And then they screen printed the design on them. Then they put the jewels on those and then they put the handles on leather, leather tabs for closures. And then they assembled them in a different building.
0: And the joinery on the box, you mentioned dovetailing. Were they dovetail joints on on the boxes?
2: Those weren't dovetailed. How many people
0: when you were going full tilt... What was the staff like? How many How many people? Uh,
2: there were probably at least a hundred people making bags. You know, Medina was a very small town. Then there was Bandera close by. And it uh, came to a point when they really needed more help. There just wasn't the people to do it. So my father and Reuben Hartman, who was the comptroller, decided to look for another place. And they, that's when they went to Puerto Rico. They went to Puerto Rico, got a factory down there, and Puerto Rico was looking for businesses to come down because they had lots of labor, lots of people willing to work, but no business. And so a lot of companies were going down there. And that's where I met my brother-in-law, or that's where my brother-in-law came to be my brother-in-law. He was Hector Pedregon had put in the IBM system in the Medina factory, And he spoke Spanish and he knew the system. So my dad hired him to go down to uh, Puerto Rico. And then my sister went down there and they, I talk about their courtship in the book. It was really pretty cool. And they got married. Then when they closed the factory in Puerto Rico, after three years, they had a lot of problems. Their dock strikes, they couldn't get supplies and they couldn't get the finished product. And that's how... We all got to Fredericksburg.
0: And where in Puerto Rico were you guys?
2: It was in Fajardo. It was on the eastern end of the island.
0: I'm imagining you visited a couple of times?
2: Yes, I did. And I went down there with my dad when he was looking for, a. I guess, I must have been out for the summer. And when he was looking for a factory, a building.
0: And things weren't really clicking, so you guys decided to decamp back to to Texas and to Fredericksburg.
2: Right. And Reuben... The uh, comptroller was from Fredericksburg. Fredericksburg happened to be at that time, this was long before the shopping in mecca that it became, and all. They were wanting industry there, and they didn't really have much. And so they were looking for industry, and my parents were looking for a place to do it. And so it just fit really well. They had a really nice factory there. And then Hector, my brother-in-law, he came and he managed that.
0: How big was the factory in Fredericksburg? Same size?
2: It was a good size building. It was a really nice building. They built it for them. My father got an SBA loan and did it. In fact, he was SBA businessman of the year in in South Texas. They built the building later on after well, Tandy Corporation bought the company eventually, and then the business pretty much closed. There were a couple of uh, people from Fredericksburg who ended up uh, buying the business from Tandy, pretty much folded. Now it's owned by a really nice man and his niece, Sia and Goli Parstabar, who haven't really brought it to you know, it's not anything near to what it was, but they they have they really admire the work of it, and they they tried to make a go of it.
0: Still working that brand now to resuscitate it, I guess.
2: Well, yeah, that that hasn't really developed. They they have a couple of retail stores, but they don't really have the manufacturing to a, to a good degree. Actually, he does a lot of the bags himself. Wow! But. But they're different. They're not the same.
0: Is the Fredericksburg building, is it still there?
2: Yes, it was sold to an artist, Charles Beckendorf, and he had it for a while. And now it's the law enforcement building. That's where the jail is, sheriff's office.
0: Got the jail there. I love the poetry from one box to another, (laughs) kind of. Was there any strategic reason to go into Fredericksburg?
2: I think it was because of the work ethic of the people there. Okay. German ethic was really good and Yeah, hard workers.
0: Yeah, you had uh, Lukenbach nearby. Your mom and dad, did they bring on a, a, a COO, you know, kind of C-suite people, or were they really hands-on for the entire operation?
2: Well, no, they brought on people. Like I say, Ruben, who did the accounting, he became the comptroller. Then in Medina, they hired this uh, man, his name was Keith Holdsworth. He was a RAF pilot in World War II. It's really interesting. A lot of these people that I remember were veterans of World War II. You know, they had all kinds of people doing, you know, and then they had a, a really a, a, a sales force that was all across the nation. with were different territories.
0: You mentioned when your mom went to New York, you said she went to New York and that was it. She just wanted to travel. <laughs> so did, did she have a place in New York?
2: Well, her sister lived in New York. Her sister, and we, we first went to New York in 1964 during the World's Fair, and she just fell in love with it. We got to go to a couple of plays, and she loved theater. And Years later, they opened a showroom in New York, and yeah, she spent a lot of time there. When I was very young, I used to travel around Texas with my father. My father would make sales trips in the early years the the things that happen when New York came along, I was really pretty much out of the picture. I wasn't really interested in being, you know, part of the business at that point. Well, I'm, I wanted to go to college, and then I went to the Marines. But I did travel with my dad. I would go. We would go out in the summer. He'd take me along. He he had a bad back, and I was kind of big for my age, so I'd carry his sample cases. And we'd go into stores, and he would uh, sell. And then we would spend the night and go on to the next town the next day.
0: So, how old were you when you were doing that? Probably. 12. You're 12 yeah. years old in Texas summer, hot, redefining hot, and you're rolling through these back roads and interstate with, with your dad who's got a bad back. What kind of car were you guys driving?
2: Oh, yeah. He had a station wagon, I think a Buick station wagon. And, well, and, that's
0: and, the one I remember. And your, your dad, Jeep, is a is an engineer, is a craftsman, is an artisan, is a businessman, and now he's a salesman. He's on the yeah. road and he's he's schlepping samples. He's taking stuff into stores. What what was that experience like when you guys would was he cold calling? Did he have appointments? Do you remember
2: any of that? Well, there were some of both. Uh, every everywhere we went as a family or whatever. I mean, he had established accounts that he called on, but everywhere we went my mother was always looking for the right store to sell it in. And in those days, in one town, you didn't sell to more than one person, in, unless it was a large town, It depending on the population. You'd give exclusives to people as long as they, you know, did a good job with the line. It was hot, but I always required my dad to get a hotel with a swimming pool.
0: Nice. That was... <laughs> the <After> work. <laughs> And did he let you sit in on the meetings, or did he say, uh, "Jeep, go here, here's you know here's fifty cents, go get yourself you know, an ice cream"?
2: He had these cases with bags in them, but like on the box bags, they were just the panel. And he would take them out, and he would show them, and they write the order and hand it to me, and I would put them back in the ba- bag for the next call. No, I was very much involved in that.
0: Did you have any any experiences, Jeep, where he was? disheartened because he wasn't closing on any of these? Was it, was there any of that pressure of, man, we're not, we're just, we're not selling? Or was it just smooth sailing? Because I imagine you pulling those panels out. I kind of wanted to say they sold themselves. They're so beautiful. Do you remember any of that?
2: No, not then. I do remember it in my own business, (laughs) but you know, I wasn't maybe tuned into that. I mean, how much he sold, but I did very early on In their business, I, and in fact, I wrote this in my book, he sent my mother postcards from where he was traveling. He said, oh, you know, today we sold $300 or something, you know, it doesn't sound like much, but I think at that time it it was, I was just as... Is a uh, sidekick he called yeah. me a sidekick
0: you rolling down the road what was on the radio Jeep do you remember you guys listen to music sing together and listen to music tell stories sit in silence what was it like on the road with your dad in that car in that Buick station wagon
2: I don't remember a lot of of playing the playing the radio a lot
0: was there music in the house with you guys as artists was there was there music that was part of the creative process or
2: no yes we had music i remember my father brought home a hi-fi one time and we listened to records he liked uh, they liked a, lo- a wide variety of music classical music to old cowboy not not the country and western music so much but the old cowboy music a wide variety of music really and musicals the the music from musicals, they like
0: that. Did you guys go into New Braunfels at all? My yeah. my my wife's family had a pharmacy, and and then later on a department store, which I'm I'm I'm, I'm I have to do some research, but I'm guessing the, well, there's a possibility they would have carried that. The, oh,
2: probably you, so. Do you remember the name of it?
0: Uh, Denson Denicky was the department store in uh, that was in New Braunfels. They had the. Richter Pharmacy and the Richter building is still there, old German family.
2: Well, they probably sold to them.
0: That was the place to shop. This is if you were in even in San Antonio, it seems that women went to went to this store Dents and Dennecke, because you didn't go up to you didn't go up to Dallas. And so they they had yeah. all the right all the great brands. sheep. once the outlet malls came years and years later, that was kind of the death of that yeah. experience of retail in the small town you know, where they, they would go to the markets and bring the great stuff from New York. And that era was over. Uh, you said that you're not really doing much jewelry anymore.
2: I have four grandchildren who all live here. All my children live here and, and I have this little ranch where I live. And so, you know, I'm spending a lot of time doing that. And this book, I mean, this book is pretty exciting to do. And, I, I like to do ministry. I used to do a lot of short term mission trips before COVID happened and I can't really do that much anymore, but I hope to get back to that. Did you get your shot? No, no.
0: Are you are you, are you not going to do that, Jeep?
2: Well, I wouldn't say I'm not. I always say, you know, if, if it, if I could, uh, well, I've gone to Cuba a lot and if I, if I if it would keep me from doing the ministry that I want to do there by not having it, well, I'd probably get it. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't really want to, but I'll do it. If that's the leading I get. For right.
0: God. When was the last time? So you, right, right before COVID hit, you were in Cuba.
2: Yeah. I, I've gone there a lot over the last 20 years.
0: Are you fluent in Spanish?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> But I know a lot of people who are right.
0: <laughs> you make it, it work. It,
2: it's, it's been a wonderful ministry that we've had down there and I just have a lot of good friends down there that we've, we've done the history together.
0: So, That's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well hopefully we are approaching the end of this Jeep and you can get back. Uh, back in the saddle, so to speak, and travel safely to Cuba and continue doing your good work. The book is Enid, from small town Texas to Fifth Avenue, New York, the story of Enid Collins and her beloved box handbags by her talented son, Jeep Collins, an artist, although maybe semi-retired, in his own right, and available, and I'll put this up at enidcollinsstory.com, And you can see, you can see just a great, great photo and that wonderful description of just the, the feel, the, the feel of quality of the book. Is it available anywhere else?
2: It will be. It's kind of new. I'm not sure where all, probably at all the major places, I hope. We'll we'll see. We're kind of doing this all ourselves.
0: And the about Jeep Collins, I got to tell you, little Paul Newman-esque there, Jeep. I don't know. Look (laughs) at that picture. I'm, oh gosh! I'm seeing gotcha. a little. I'm seeing a little Paul, kind of Paul Newman-esque. When uh, was
2: that picture taken that you're looking
0: at? Uh, this is you sitting on some steps and in oh, uh, yeah, a yeah, in a blue plaid shirt and just great, just a great uh, smile.
2: Well, I got a lot to smile about. I'm a blessed, man.
0: The thoughts of a gentle artisan, son, grandfather and author. The Collins bags have a timeless feel. The quality is apparent and really have to be seen to be appreciated. Jeep's book can be seen, appreciated, and purchased at enidcollinsstory.com and his jewelry and that Paul Newman pick can be seen at jeepcollins.com. The new iteration of the Collins of Texas company's website is collins of Texas.com. laura richardson has a ridiculously comprehensive and well-done website cataloging the 742 copyrighted designs of frederick and eden collins called collectingcollins.com thanks for hanging with jeep and i i hope you'll join me again with new episodes dropping every tuesday at 3 p.m mountain time If you enjoy No Bed of Roses, and I hope you do, may I ask you consider sharing the link to the show with your friends and family? Any show, any episode, share the love. We appreciate it. Until next time, stay safe and remember, you'll find No Bed of Roses wherever you find fine podcasts. Thanks. See you soon. Bye.